Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. So, serious journalistic question here. We've been referring to Frances Haugen as the Facebook whistleblower. Do we now refer to her as the meta whistleblower? <laughs> these, are the, these are the tough questions. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, let's, let's call it what it is. It's still Facebook. Everyone refers to it as Facebook, even though the company would like to be called meta. So, yeah, I think it's still the Facebook whistleblower. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... She accuses Facebook of putting the company's profits out of the public good. Chief tech correspondent Mark Scott sits down with Facebook. There, I said it, Facebook whistleblower, Francis Haugen. The platform is out of control, and they haven't invested enough in safety. I was shocked at um, Mark's announcement of the metaverse, or meta, excuse me, because it, it really illustrated for me like a meta problem about Facebook, which is Facebook always prioritizes expansion and growth over making sure the things that they have already are safe and adequate. And, you know, if Facebook can afford 10,000 engineers to work on video games, like I, I was just... I, I was flabbergasted because, like, if we had had 10,000 engineers to work on safety systems, I would, I would not need to be sitting here. Um, and so I can't imagine that Facebook has changed the, to the extent that it needs to without having transparency and oversight. So Haugen has obviously been in the news for some months now in terms of her revelations about Facebook. Um, but I think I, what I wanted to do was meet her in person and sort of get beyond the at least in DC, it's sort of the partisan discussion around is Facebook censoring right-wing voices or is it not taking enough down to get actually into what some of the solutions might be? So breaking up Facebook is sexy, right? It's like, oh, I've hurt them. Um, the reality is, like I said, these problems reproduce themselves over and over again. All the problems that I talk about with Facebook are also happening on Instagram. Sometimes they're actually worse on Instagram. And so, you know, if we just break them up, we're not actually solving the underlying problems. When you were looking through the documents to potentially take out of Facebook, was there a particular one that caught your eye that was could have made it clear for you that this had to be done? Oh, um, unquestionably. So there's a document from April 2020 that was on the question of soft interventions. So a hard intervention is when you take a person off the platform, you take a piece of content off the platform. And so a large number of people, probably 50 people inside the company across all the little contributors, um, thought up ways that you could make the platform less dangerous that didn't involve you taking pieces of content off, like figuring out where the amplification hotspots were. And one of them was something called downstream MSI. So downstream MSI is the idea that when Facebook picks content for me, it could prioritize my happiness, my engagement, or it could say, Francis, you are a tool of Facebook, and if you reshare that, you might generate all this engagement amongst your thousands of friends. So Facebook knows that that one feature is one of the most dangerous ones in its ranking because the content that people interact with after it's reshared, because people don't like reshares, you like original content from your 20 closest friends. You like reshares from your five closest friends. The only content that gets lots of engagement when it's, quote, downstream of you, within your friends, is extreme polarizing content. And so in this document about soft interventions, it had notes from a meeting with Mark. And someone had suggested, at least in the at-risk countries, so these are the hottest of hotspots in the world, places like Ethiopia, we should turn that feature off because we don't have language classifiers in them. We can't tell what's going on. We should just make the platform safer. And Mark said, 
with regard to going broad with turning off MSI in at-risk countries, we weren't going to do it if it hit the main metric, MSI, meaningful social interactions, um, if it hit it at all. And so I want, to th- I want you to think for a moment about how crazy this is. It is literally a made-up metric, right? A meaningful social interaction could be hate speech and still considered, quote, meaningful. So because people's bonuses were tied to that, that if you hit MSI, a lot of people are going to get paid a little bit less. They might stay at the company less. I think that's why Mark said, if you hit it at all, you can't launch this. And I feel like that that was like a, it's, it's so frustrating to see that Mark could have made a lot of places more stable for functionally free, and he chose not to, to protect a goal metric. At the beginning of the conversation, um, we talked specifically about her fears about Facebook retaliation. I, I know that they could do horrible things to me. They could, you know, um, tarnish my name. They could fund troll armies. They could sue me. There's lots of things they could do. And I think that's interesting mostly because I think Haugen and people around her would like other whistleblowers to come forward, both at Facebook and other companies, to show what is really going on inside these big entities. I encourage anyone who is thinking about doing something similar to what I did to reach out to a, a group like Whistleblower Aid, because I think th- I've gotten a chance to talk to a number of whistleblowers post my disclosure. And one of the things that has struck me is the importance of having support, right? Like I had support from my mother who gave me basically infinite therapy last year. So like I've had a chance to process these things. Most whistleblowers don't get that privilege. Um, But it's also just things like having people who can lead you through the process. You know, it's important to disclose the SEC because if you work for a public company, you get whistleblower protections. Or it's important to appropriately disclose to Congress because that's protected. Um, And so, you know, there are options, there are safe paths and you're not alone. We began this conversation talking about the potential threat that Facebook may uh, mm-hmm. be for you going forward. And that would be a threat that any whistleblower may face, even though the protection mm-hmm. is there. Does that concern you for, for others who may want to come forward? Um, so there are, one of the things that's nice about disclosing to the SEC is you can remain confidential or you can remain private. Um, I think there are, are one of the important parts of reaching out to an organization like Whistleblower Aid is they can lead you through this process in a way that minimizes risk to you. And so, um, you know, you don't have to go and do a gazillion interviews. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be a public face. You can stay a private citizen and still have a huge difference in bringing transparency to the public. What was the sense that you got of Haugen as a person? Um, you know, because obviously Facebook has pushed back against, um, you know, some of the claims that that she's made and stuff. What's the sense of how much and why people should trust her here? I don't think we should trust her. Uh, she's, she's done this for her own reasons, and those may be laudable reasons, but we should all take everything with a pinch of salt. The documents she provided, she picked for a reason. Um, what, what Duck did come across for our conversation was that she's very earnest and she believes what she's saying. Um, and she's Frankly, she came across quite genuine. Does she have a political with a small p motive for this? Definitely. She wants change at Facebook and she wants it now. Is that a bad thing? Maybe not. It, it, it's up to regulators and lawmakers to, to decide. But I think it is fair to say that the document she provided to Politico, Wall Street Journal and other media outlets and, and Congress do shine a light on a Facebook that no one had seen before. And for that, she deserves credit. Hmm. We've talked a lot on this show about the difficult moment Facebook 
is in, you know, especially given the past few years, everything with Cambridge Analytica and just sort of how it feels like at the very least public perception of the company is really closing in on them. I mean, what are you thinking about what this moment means for the future of Facebook or the future of Meta? You know, can this really be sort of a a changing of the tide for them? Or at the end of the day, are they a company that makes money and, and keeps their investors happy so it doesn't really matter? You know, this is not the answer you want to hear, but I think it's maybe, mostly because they had their um, quarterly earnings um, quite recently and they were their profit was up 17% year on year. Um, and so the, financially they're doing well. The question I have is, will people stop using Facebook services, both Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and globally that has not, not happened yet. So maybe people under 30 aren't using Facebook, but they're definitely on the gram, right? And people are using WhatsApp all over the world. So financially, they have not been affected. The question I have for them now is, after the Haugen revelations, those documents that came out showed that they knew things were going on and at least from the Haugen revelations, didn't do anything about it. And how much more regulatory fire, both in the US and overseas, will they now come under even more so than Cambridge Analytica because these documents lay out categorically that they knew this and they just didn't decide to do anything about it. Mark, Scott, thanks so much for talking with me. Happy to. And if you want to hear Mark's full interview with Francis Haugen, be sure to check out the EU Confidential podcast from Politico Europe. Their full conversation will be featured on Thursday's episode. Just search for EU Confidential wherever you get your podcasts or find a link in this episode's show notes. Also today, more than a dozen top Trump officials violated the terms of the Hatch Act in the run-up to the 2020 elections. That's according to a report released by the U.S. Office of Special Counsel on Tuesday. The list includes several cabinet officials and top White House aides, including Trump's former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany. The Hatch Act restricts federal employees, aside from the president and vice president, from certain political behavior that could include tweeting certain messages, speaking about candidates, diverting official travel to attend political events, and fundraising. And Democrats will not receive a complete cost estimate for President Biden's entire social spending bill next week. The Congressional Budget Office in a statement says the independent agency will release estimates for some individual parts of the bill this week, but, quote, other estimates will take longer, particularly for provisions in some titles that interact with those in other titles. Five House moderates said in a letter last week that they want a CBO score before voting on the social spending bill, but Democratic leaders have warned that calculating that total cost could take weeks. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Just a reminder, if you want to hear more of the interview with Francis Haugen, to subscribe to the EU Confidential podcast. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.